the IBM Z applications and runtime podcasts. Your place to get the news trends and direction for mainframe runtimes and environments. Welcome to another podcast in the Application Platform Talks series. This is where we talk to experts in the runtimes area of the business to talk about topics that will be interesting to you. Now, I am ably assisted by my colleague, Tobias. Toby, thank you for joining today. Hi, Nick. It's a pleasure as usual. And uh, today it's not just me. It is also another guest that we have. So I'm, I'm very happy that we could persuade Ian to join us here today, Ian Mitchell, um, as he is, uh, has quite a history. You already heard a bit about him when, uh, when Fraser talked about his predecessor and role as a chief architect in KX. So you already have an idea where, where Ian comes from, but, but maybe Ian, just give us a hint. So, so how did you come to the IBM Z platform and how did you end up to work with runtimes and stuff? Well, hi guys. Um, it's great to be here. Um, yes. So my history with Z goes back, well, it's a long way now. Um, I started with IBM in 1987. Um, I did start straight away in Hursley, lucky enough to join the Kicks team. So I spent um, a number of years enjoying myself and learning learning how not to break Kicks um, in development. Um, but then, as you mentioned, I sort of uh, did work around team leading um, and eventually um, standing on the shoulders of giants, as they say, became the uh, the architect for Kicks, uh, probably in around, oh, I don't know, um, probably the late 90s and spent probably eight to 10 years doing that. It's it's so long ago, I've practically forgotten. So in 1987, Ian, that would have been around the time of ESA version 3 development? That's true, Nick, yes. So just as a lot of those um, giants on which we whose shoulders we stand on were doing the restructure. So uh, we'll probably come back to the importance of restructuring code and modularity, I think. I would assume so, yes. <laughs> um, and then since then, um, I've worked on blockchain. So that was an interesting expansion of uh, the, the types of technology that I've worked on. Uh, we brought the IBM... Uh, blockchain platform, um, obviously to IBM Z, because that's where IBM's been running uh, its blockchain service. Uh, so working working with the blockchain team uh, to show them the advantages of running solutions like that on Z. But there's been a thread about this application modernization theme throughout. Uh, so um, I've always worked with the Z Design Council, where we've got uh, a strong theme around um, modernization and then lucky enough to work with folks like Rosalind. Um, so I think we've had a podcast from Rosalind on DevOps um, and now we're going to look at some of the modern techniques that we need to look at from a runtime's perspective, I think. So I'm currently working um, for the past six months um, in an entirely new area, uh, working for IBM GBS, specifically to help the services organization work with clients uh, to modernize their Z applications. So actually well equipped for our today's topic uh, of, of modern application architectures. And um, so maybe to be a bit provoke, provoking at the beginning, I mean, we, we usually see that a lot of customers these days feel this burden from getting 
away from the bad, bad, bad old monolith into the direction of a of a microservice architecture that is this bright future. Maybe maybe we can start to have a little discussion on on what your thoughts are about this and what what is this future that everyone knows to go to, but a few of them really knows what it means. Uh, what is it about? Yes, Toby, you're exactly right. The conversations that we have about microservices are many and varied, um, and people start <laughs> from a lot of different places. But one thing that I always try to emphasize in the conversation is to look at what are the outcomes that you want from any sort of investment in your code base and in your system. And I think those the outcomes folks are looking for um, are thoroughly around agility. Um, and again, agility was a, a big topic that I've worked on for a number of years. We spent a couple of years specifically looking at agility on Z, and people started um, sort of talking to us about, well, there's, there's microservices. They were saying there's containers as well. So I think that's an entirely separate topic. Let's stick to microservices for today. Um, but when we look at the sort of outcomes that people are looking for, you can look back at um, a lot of the really great foundational work that people like Martin Fowler did back in, I think it was about 2014, um, to define what microservices are and all of the approaches um, to it. So I always recommend that people review um, as much of that foundational material as possible. And Martin's a great writer, so I think we'll put links to some um, some of those starting points um, on the webpage for this podcast. But to me, some of the important things around what Martin said, um, and a lot of a lot of his colleagues as well, were really around trying to be balanced between the advantages of modularity, and we'll talk about that, I guess, um, again, but with the separation of concerns. And then, as well as Martin Fowler's work, there's a lot of people um, encounter microservices when they look at things like 12-factor apps. So 12-factor apps was a, an approach to try to uh, identify 12 particular factors about an application pattern um, that, that made it good for agility, good for development in relatively small teams. And a lot, the, to balance the sort of the technical side of things, we mustn't forget that along with many other aspects of modernization, uh, culture and tools are really important. So you can really think about those people process tools factors applying to microservices as they do to many different types of modernization. So people look at the work of those founders of microservices and 12-factor apps, and sometimes they believe that you can't achieve those outcomes with the mainframe, with Z, but you absolutely can. 
Yeah, so, so so that's a very interesting point for me, Ian, because we already had Fraser the, the other week uh, discussing about the, the re-architecting of kicks. And basically, this was about the same key point that you just mentioned about the modularity. So it is not a, an entirely new concept, even though maybe some technologies are different. But so when you started and you said you were there around that time frame, you actually worked a lot with this topic of agility already in a in a in a concept where we today would say feels like very old technology so so how do you think about about this key aspect of modularity do, you, do how, how can we achieve that and and why is it that important yeah it is absolutely key i mean there is no i'm afraid there is no magic bullet with saying you're going to do microservices and again referencing martin fowler He makes some really good points about what a, when a team should look at adopting uh, microservices. There's even a point of view that says every system starts as a monolith and you do not consider microservices until it becomes too complex to manage as a monolith. So there's definitely a, an evolution to be gone through. But that evolution demands that you don't just sort of um, cast a microservices veneer over your code base. Um, you really do need to uh, get to a level of modularity within the code base before you start then employing the sort of the separate deployment, clear interfaces, clear external interfaces ideas of microservices. Now, that modularity can obviously work at many different levels. But again, one of the learning points that I've picked up in the last couple of years is that the a really good way to guide your thinking in where those boundaries lie is to look at something called domain-driven design. So domain-driven design is, again, a movement that's been around for a while, Uh, there are there's lots of publications on domain-driven design, and Eric Evans was the sort of like the, the father of domain-driven design. My favorite book to introduce domain-driven design, if people are still into reading books, but I found it really, really useful to look at this from a, a sort of complete point of view in a, uh, by reading a book, is called Implementing Domain-Driven Design. And again, I think we'll put a, we'll put a link there. Yeah, we will. This idea of domain-driven design says we can look from the business level down into what the system looks like. But it gives some really great clues as to where the boundaries lie between the major components, the microservices, um, that you might be thinking that you refactor your monolith into. And again, just to reference a link that we'll put in, uh, there's another really great book that's been out for maybe two years. Um, Sam Newman, I think, is, is the guy's name, but this is called yep. Monoliths to Microservices. And again, that's very practical about um, undertaking a microservices journey because all of these things are journeys and you can't do everything all in, all in once, all in one go. I mean, just to reference back to Kicks. There are some, you know, Kicks is a large, soft, large uh, code base. And even after 
30 odd years of looking at it, I can see where there are some really nicely structured pieces, um, very well <laughs> modularized. And there are some less well modularized pieces. But it's an investment decision about where, where you put that and how the team makes makes that change. So again, I'd reference the sort of the culture um, to be ready to do microservices. So as well as domain-driven design, you never get very far thinking about microservices without one of the sort of historical monuments, if you might think of it that way, around organization. Another aspect I always mention in the discussion around this is Conway's law. And Conway's law, for the size of systems that we normally deal with on the mainframe, is really significant. Because Conway's law says that the architecture, the technical architecture of your system, if it's sufficiently large, tends to reflect the structure of your team organization. And this can work for you or against you, but it's something that emerges time and time again. As you, as you say that, Ian, from, from my real-life perspective, that is something I see, for example, in, in insurance companies quite often. So in insurance companies, we have a, a lot of, let's say, the, the, the basic information system, the partner information of the systems, they are all implemented a lot of time. So you are not just a single customer to an insurance company, but you're an insurance health customer, you're an don't know a car customer so 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 this is w what you just described is really something that people can experience when they look into their software and i think we in ibm we have the same so you're not just a single customer to us you are a hardware customer a software customer services customer and we really did implement that structure of the organization at the point of the creation into software so i think this is a really important concept that you just described yeah the aspect of how you deal with that Comes, I mean, there's lots of clues about how to deal with that. So, um, I mean, I, I particularly like the idea of a, of a concept called the reverse Conway maneuver, which is to embrace Conway's law, but sort out the organization as part of the journey to microservices. But getting mm. back to the main driven design ideas, I mean, there's lots and lots to it. Uh, but being being thoroughly a kicks person and also because of some of the conversations that I have had with clients and what some of the stumbling points that people sort of take the look of 12-factor apps, say, and say, well, that's so different to the way that we do the architecture on the mainframe. It's one of the common conversations is about this idea of transactional consistency between the, uh, how you've modeled the resources in your system. Um, and domain-driven design and the Sam Newman book both have some really good advice on that. Um, so just to talk a little bit about domain-driven design, the idea of domains is primarily driven from the business point of view. So you identify things like, as you said, Toby, so the, the, the customer database or the, um, in the banking context payments versus credit cards, say. But then you've got to decide, well, how big is a domain? What are the boundaries to that domain? What does being a domain mean? And I think that there's a, there's a really good rule of thumb 
that's documented in those in both of those books that says that wherever you can or rather wherever you cannot allow inconsistency between data resources say wherever you cannot allow inconsistency so you need the traditional acid type of transaction consistency that should be inside a domain so mm-hmm. a characteristic of a domain boundary is a boundary where you can allow the thing called eventual consistency to happen so you don't need to have all of the guarantees about locking rollback and all that level of consistency outside of a domain um, you, you really should remember that two domains can be instantaneously inconsistent that's sort of like a definition of where you would put a domain bound mm-hmm. but then then you get to the point of well if i'm if i've split my system into the sensible domains according to some rules of thumb like that how do i then deploy and of course deployment is an important part of the agility that you gain from microservices but there is no escaping that distributing your microservices provides some runtime overheads so again we 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 shouldn't um dismiss the idea that co-location of microservices is a really good thing for the large scale systems that we typically deal with referencing martin fowler again the first rule of distributed objects is don't distribute your objects um <laughs> domain boundaries can be a good point at which you are allowed to do that because maybe between domains you use asynchronous patterns rather than synchronous patterns and again with the 12 factor apps and domain driven design there's a really good discussion about when to use request reply synchronous type interactions between the services and when to make it a whole sort of event driven architecture so we've sort of covered a lot of the or we've touched on a lot of the the important factors that you do need to consider um but they come down to i i think an understanding of these domain boundaries in order to break the system up break the monolith up without i find exactly that point interesting ian because because a lot of the the aspects that are really important to us and um, that are also important to the business in the end to get this agility you spoke about are not really about the the actual fact if the different microservices we always call it like that and then we assume they must be of course distributed because they all run in separate processes but i think i think from from what you just said and what we just discussed i think the important bit is to have a very well structured code if i then in the end and that was a point that uh, fraser made when he also mentioned you that you looked into some design books and even kicks could actually be distributed because the the, the calls itself could be in separate processes or address spaces. Uh, you never decided to do that in Kix. 
uh, because it was never necessary. And I think I find that idea quite compelling to design for maximum flexibility, but maybe then decide not to di di really distribute it. And so, so I think that is that is an interesting pattern because, of course, also in a monolith, you can have a good structure and you can have async and synchronous conversations, but you can still deploy it as a single entity and, of course, get the performance benefits and stuff like that. Yeah, you've, 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 you've hit the nail on the head, um, Toby. Um, the, the benefits in a microservices journey sort of come to you at different stages. But because modularity is so foundational, um, we do tend to get a lot of benefits from from that. And it's not like you're going to do refactoring for modularity or microservices. They are, or one is part of the other. You can't escape, um, really, the, the consideration of modularity. Now, you can hide a lot of unreconstructed capability or implementation inside a domain. And you might think of that as something like the strangler pattern. Mm -hmm. But you've at least tried to loosely couple the external interfaces to that sort of unreconstructed component. And certainly that's happened a lot, a lot in, in, in internal to kicks as well. But mm. you've, got to, you've got to make the business decision about where it's worth investing. And you've got to make the cultural and adopt the right tools in order for you to do this. That, that to some degree, that, I think I've already said that there's no magic bullet. There's no shortcuts. Um, there are some things that you can do that are well understood in the industry. But it's a journey. Um, you're not going to get there in... You know, we'll leap the tall building in a single bound, probably. But I hope we've touched today on the fact that when you look and you do some research about what it takes to do microservices, that you get a lot of good guidance. And again, some of the links that we're going to put in should help with that. But you've got to really look at what your own journey is going to be. Um, and... That is something that's really, really important to to consider. And I think I think when when I look at at the clock, uh, we already uh, running close to our to our target of of uh, of, of 25 uh, to 30 minutes. Actually, sometimes 15 minutes. But um, I think there is still a lot to say. So I hope we can we can maybe continue that conversation on a later point and also discuss stuff like. How can we actually do that then? Because you said there are tools that you need to install, but on the other side, it's not, you can't install microservices. So it is unfortunately a cultural thing. And I think especially that point is, is maybe one that we can stress, uh, stress as well in a few, in a future talk. If you're happy yeah. to do that, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> so thank you, Ian. Thank you, Toby, for coming along today and, uh, and talking about these microservices and how runtimes can help help out here. We will be storing this on ibm.biz forward slash Z podcast, where you'll find many other podcasts along the DevOps route as well as the runtimes route. 
And listen out for uh, an, another podcast that we're doing with Ansible Development and DevOps with Stuart Francis. But uh, for now, thank you for listening today. And we hope to hear from you again in the future. So thank you, Ian. Thank you, Toby. Thanks a lot. <laughs> it was a pleasure. Cheers, mate. Cheers, Toby. Cheers. Thank you.